Hello, welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we are here at the end of 2020 with our final episode of the year. Who knew this moment would come? It's been a it's fucking took a while to get long here. year. <laughs> this has, has been an, an absolute crazy year for obvious reasons. And, uh, but I mean, for, but also for us, I mean, it's really, you know, we had a good reaction last year when we started the podcast, but this year has been crazy. It's uh, really, really hit it off more than we expected anyway. Yeah, I think because no one can go out and do anything. Well, no, listening or, or because it. we're good. Like, <laughs> maybe that's what to do with it. <laughs> But we've had guests, we've spoke about trash, we've spoke about great films, we've had press passes. It's It's been insane. And uh, here we are to, summer, to to give a summary of the year uh, in, in horror cinema. It's been a weird year for film as well, hasn't it? Um, yeah. You know, this is going to be released, no, it's not going to be released, you got this trailer, well, now you're not going to see it for another year and a half. Um, this is, so our list aren't exactly what I thought they were going to be if you'd asked us this time last year. No. Um, so for better or for worse, you know, we, we can give a little credit to some films that maybe wouldn't have gotten a spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've been overshadowed by other films. So, um, and when you look at weird, it, it's been a weird one. When you look at it, it's been, you know, you look at our top. Uh, our, our regular top 20 outside of horror uh, films of the year it's been a fantastic year for films but then if you look at our 20 worst it's also been a terrible <laughs> year so yeah. it's it's a very very weird mixture this year but getting into it we have some uh, as you love to call it fan mail <laughs> who loves to call it you it's your favourite okay. so this week's fan mail is your favourites and least favourites of the year uh, I Hope You Suffer podcast uh, who recently released an episode on uh, what the fuck was that film called that we covered Bloodbeat Bloodbeat that boring ass film Bloodbeat they yes. also released an episode and appreciate how terrible it was um, had the same week as us so they their favourite was Impetigore, which I hadn't even heard of before they said it. Um, oh, what's that? I, I have no idea. Uh, and least favourite is Host. Wow. Don't don't listen to our top ten favourites. Uh, <laughs> um, JJ Crystal on Instagram says his favourite was The Invisible Man, least favourite The Grudge. Absolutely. Uh, Georgie17891 on Instagram says his favourites were Possessor and The Swerve. We missed The Swerve at Fright Fest. Yeah, we um, did, didn't we? We watched a Bag of Dog Shit instead. Like, we, we should have watched The Swerve. Probably. <laughs> no, we did. It was, it was when Dark Stories was on. Um, yeah. Um, in is an Indonesian film. Oh, okay. And it's... Uh, Maya, with her best friend Dini, tries to survive in a city without a family. She realised that she might inherit a property from her rich family. Maya returns to the village with Dini and unaware of the danger was waiting for her. Mm. That's very badly worded. I do apologise. Well, I mean, that's IMDb badly worded. That, was, <laughs> that is the IMDb plot summary. And that's very badly worded. I'm none the wiser after that. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, we should really check that out. Uh, yeah, Georgie17891 didn't give a least favourite and neither did Kamikaze Kira, um, our friend Kira, who only gave one favourite and that was The Lighthouse. 
Because, I mean, The Lighthouse was released in the UK this year. Yeah, it that's, was. Yeah, yeah against it's, like, cra- it's crazy. We're going to go through some films. I'm going to sit here and like, was that this year? Was that this year? Yeah. It feels like a million years ago. Michael D. Derub. I'm going to say Derub, but it's spelled D-E-R-U-B. So it could be Derub, Derub, whatever. Um, his favourites uh, was The Rental. And least favourite was The Grudge. Yes. And finally, last but not least... Maz Poo, former special guest on the podcast, our good friend Maz, number one fan. Her uh, favourite film was Hellgate, a film that wasn't even released in 2020. No. <laughs> I'm sure that film had quite the impact on her. <laughs> Life-changing film. <laughs> She's not been the same since. Uh, if you want to send more in after this episode, we're Horrorcore Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, and Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. Now, getting into our best and worst of the year, we're going to start with some awards. <laughs> that we've introduced this year and will be a new regular thing at the end of the year episodes. First of all, we have the Oh My Christmas God Award uh, for Biggest Surprise of the Year. So, would you like to take horror or non-horror? I'll take non-horror. Go on. So, the Oh My Christmas God is actually a Christmas film. You didn't say it properly. Oh. Oh My Christmas God. There we go, thank you. Excuse me. <laughs> It's actually a Christmas film. It's Happiest Season. Yes. Um, we... It was mixed reviews, I think. Yeah. It's one of those films, it looks so basic. Like, absolutely average. Just the, the most average film, you know, ever. And it, it was well known because it has a lesbian couple uh, in the centre of it. Yeah. It's, it's one of those films that I, 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 I like to support because... I thought it was going to be mediocre. And mm. I'm like, well, why can't lesbian films yeah. or LGBT films be mediocre? Exactly. You know, why do they have to be exceptional? There's hundreds and hundreds of mediocre heterosexual films out there. Why Why aren't we allowed yeah. <laughs> a mediocre one every so Why do they all have to be moonlight? Turns out it's actually a very good heartwarming yeah film it you know it was a tried and tested formula let's be fair mm. um but it had a real heart to it yeah. and it was really well made it was well acted and it really it was made by gay filmmakers so it really you know it dealt with the lgbt side of it with extra care um yeah you know everything was really really heartfelt and you, you could tell it was coming from someone who was actually gay yeah, and it didn't play too much on stereotypes no. either. Um, it really felt like a, you know, rom-com that we, that, that straight people get, but for an LGBT yeah. audience. And it, it really felt that way because it was a solid rom-com. It would have still... The themes on show were essentially about not being able to come out to your family. Mm -hmm. So that wouldn't necessarily have translated well to a heterosexual couple, of course. Um, But everything around it felt, you know... um, quite familiar and you know it was it was just a nice film it was a nice film we were we were ready to trash it yeah and we ended up having a good time yeah maybe there was a few tears from a certain person there may have been um (laughs) someone um i christmas stewart's best role without a doubt and the guy from schitt's creek as well was really fucking good he's hilarious and we definitely need to watch schitt's creek now then um Dan Levy, yeah, uh, is his name. Everyone's been going on about the show, and 
I I started it at the beginning, but it it never really took off. So I, I kind of forgot it existed, and then suddenly through the years, it's like everyone's been watching it, but just not telling me about it. So yes, and I will take uh, horrors. Oh my Christmas God award, and it is going to the excellent host. Uh, again, same story as Happier Season. We thought it'd be basic. Yeah. We, you know, um, I, I, I have, I have absolutely no problem saying I thought this film was going to be the most average. You know, maybe five out of ten film uh, with your jump scares and your ghosts, your CGI, all that shit. Uh, but I watched it and I was genuinely scared. And uh, we watched it twice this year. It's, it's a really standout horror film of the year. It's. Uh, it, it takes something new, it takes modern day and the situation we're in, and it utilises it, and it doesn't feel like it's uh, exploiting uh, the whole COVID thing, like maybe something like Songbird has done, uh, but instead it's used it for a situation, and it works so well. Yeah, I did think it was going to be maybe a cheap cash grab um, that relied on... Um, one sort of thing, obviously the 2020 setting and the, the pandemic, I thought mm. it was going to rely too heavy on that. I thought they were going to potentially rely too heavy on in jokes for 2020 um, and, and such. And I just thought it was going to be cheap. It, it didn't feel cheap, actually. No, no very um, well made. Yeah, it was actually really well made, really well put together. It was a proper horror film. And it didn't rely on too many gags. No, but we are going to go into depth a little more about this a little later on. This might be in one of our top tens. Ooh. <laughs> so we will save that for about five minutes' time. Um, so next up, we have the, what is this, Garbage Day? Biggest Disappointment of the Year Award. Which one are you taking? I'll take... Oh, I think I'll take... <laughs> you can take horror. I'm volunteering you for horror. horror. Please, take please horror. continue. <laughs> so, oh God. So horror was The New Mutants. Um, so as I was saying at the beginning, uh, a lot of films have been pushed back. Uh, they're not getting their releases. Well, The New Mutants was the originator of this. <laughs> Uh, when were we meant to like get... five years ago. Five, oh, it, fe- <laughs> it feels like, like five years ago. No, it genuinely, I think it was the same year we got to it. So maybe like three, four years ago? Yeah. It was around that time. So it, it sort of incorporated two things that I know you love mm. and that I like. You know, Marvel, comic book films, and horror. Mm. You know, this should have been a perfect combination for us. Um, and it wasn't. It was shit. It had absolutely no idea what it was doing. It had no idea what genre it no. was. Because we, we sat here saying it's a horror film. Well, it, for the most part, it wasn't really a horror film. No, the horror parts are really forced. Yeah, and it was... It was just shit. It was just shit. It's, it's hard to pinpoint exact moments. It was just overall really mediocre. Um, there was a character that's quite blatantly racist oh, yeah. that has a redemption story within <laughs> yeah. it as well, but not really. Um, it, there's a kind of forced rom- romance that I don't feel was um, was dealt with correctly. It, it felt really forced. Mm-hmm. 
Um, none of the characters really had any chemistry. No. Um, it was the the all the elements were just we've seen them all before. Mm. Awful CGI. Oh yeah, the CGI was terrible, but it just felt like we'd seen everything over and over again, and tagging the the Marvel element onto it just didn't work. No. And speaking of bad CGI, we've seen it all before and didn't work. I have the pleasure of telling you our, what is this, garbage day, non-horror biggest disappointment of the year. It's also a comic book film, and it is Wonder Woman 1984. Ooh. A film that I believe we actually spoke about on our most anticipated of the year episode. We probably did. Because why wouldn't we? Wonder Woman, the 80s. How could it go wrong? It did. It went very wrong. It, it just... It took a strong female superhero film and it just made it very male-focused. Uh, every female character in this film had to have some sort of connection to a man who overtook their story and, and took centre stage. And it was just basic. It was unnecessary. There was little to no 80s references in it. Uh, you forget it's in the 80s most of the time. A really bland score by Hans Zimmer, which is shocking. Um dull cinematography everything about it is just so dull and boring and generic yeah and i think it's a, a real insult to the, the female characters in the film is that their stories aren't weren't told properly it was the whole premise should have been wonder woman versus cheetah yeah that, that was it. That's what sold me on the film. Mm -hmm. And that amazing poster, like a really incredible poster that they had, which was completely not reflective of the film. Um, the colour palette in the film was virtually non-existent, mm -hmm. which this is a film in the 80s. I want big hair. I want, you know, shoulder pads. I want all of that. And like Gary said, there were moments in it where I forgot this was set in the 80s. You know, it's a tried and tested formula that if you're set in a film in the 80s, you know, you've got, you have to have those visual indicators. Um, or even just the soundtrack is, you know, audible indicators as well. And um, there were two 80s songs. <laughs> One of them wasn't even the 80s. One wasn't even released in the 80s. One of them wasn't even released in the 80s. You set in 1984. I want to hear Aha. I want to hear Duran Duran. And we get some Gary Newman song from like 78. <laughs> it, it, was, it was really terrible. And, you know, they shoehorned in the Chris Pine character coming back into oh, yeah. it. Um, for absolutely no purpose, because Lord forbid we have a female superhero main character that has her own story that doesn't involve a man. I completely forgot to tell you this, but a previous guest of the podcast, Luke, informed me this morning the reason Chris Pine came back was because he said he wouldn't do the first film unless he got a sequel. So it wasn't fan demand after all. Oh, but then why kill him off in the first why film? Why kill him off in the first film then? What's the point? And I don't know if this is a spoiler. I don't, it's, I don't know. But one the big, the, my biggest gripe, my real biggest is that the first film was set in 1918. This film was set in 1984. We see Diana. 
It's, it's Diana, yeah. isn't it? Not Diana. Diana pining over Chris Pine, pun fully intended, <laughs> at the beginning of the film. 70 years. Seven, <laughs> almost 70 fucking years she's been pining over this guy. What an insult to the strong woman that Wonder Woman should be. Yeah. And she's 70 yeah. years. But that's the thing. That's nothing compared to Justice League. That's set many years later. And she's still pining over him. Forgetting the fact that she was with him in the 80s, of course. Um, because this is just incoherent with the rest of the DC Extended Universe as well. It was completely it. unnecessary to set this in the 80s. It was a cheap marketing thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which worked. Because I was really fucking excited for the film. And then when you watch the film, this could have been set in any time. Yeah. Absolutely any time this could have been set. You would have had to jiggle a few things round, but um, this could have been set 10 years after the mm-hmm. first one and done something similar. Um, but no, they wanted the 80s thing. It was a cheap gag and marketing ploy. Um, they just did nothing with it. And they did nothing with it. And also, you know, Cheetah, her story is kind of very similar to Catwoman. Mm. Um in the fact that, you know, she's a bit of a nobody, she doesn't like her life, and, um, you know, she wishes for for more. She wishes to be more like Diana, who in her eyes has everything. And um, she doesn't even get the redeeming story. You know, she doesn't actually redeem herself by the end. It's the other guy who tries to take over the world that gets the redemption at the end. And then Cheetah's like, you know, she should have really realised by the end that what she was before, because she's, you know, PhD, she's got a great job, you know, what mm-hmm. she was before, and she was a beautiful woman, Kristen Wiig is a beautiful woman, um, what she had was enough. Yeah. And it didn't do that. I'm sorry, spoiler alerts, whatever. Don't go watch it, it's fucking shit. <laughs> it, don't, no, seriously, don't spend money on it, and then we won't get another one. <laughs> We can just well, that's already been greenlit, unfortunately, because wow. it made money and it's a box office success because we live in a world where cinemas can only be half full and half the cinemas can't be open. So... How did it still make money then? I, more screenings. Uh, so, that brings me to our Trash the Piece of the Year, of course, and it's none other than Homeless Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. <laughs> The only film of the year that I can honestly say was so bad, it was good. All the others were so bad, they were bad. Or so good that they were great. <laughs> this was so bad that I was thinking about putting it in my top ten. <laughs> yeah. Just a it's, real it's special. enjoyable film. Yeah, a film like this doesn't come around too often. Um, and it needs to be celebrated for that. And our best, uh, well, our worst podcast film of the year that we've covered was obviously The Town That Cancelled Christmas. Anyone who listens to that episode will know exactly why. <sighs> and our best, I'd say, is probably a tie between Psycho and The Shining. Mm. Yeah, we, we covered a few um, classics this year, yeah. didn't we? And obviously The Shining, Psycho are up there with some of the greatest films of all time, not just horror. Now, this brings us to our 10 best of the year. Do you want to do 10 worst or 10 best first? We'll do 10 best, because we're both on the page. Okay. So, do you want to go first, or 
Shall I? Shall I go first? We're we'll winging first. it a little bit, guys. Yes. Yeah. We'll go into us. detail. We're yeah. probably going to have a few crossovers, so we'll go into detail of whoever says it first. Yeah. So, so at my at my number ten is Cyst. Yep. Um, is that in your top ten? It's not in my top ten, but oh. it's my honourable mentions. Oh, honourable um, mentions. Yeah, this is this was way better than it had any right to be. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's essentially a take on the old monster movies of yeah. the you know, 40s, 50s, and instead of, you know, a big one-eyed monster, it was a giant cyst yeah. going around, yeah. killing people, and that, it, it shouldn't have been as funny no. as it was, no. it shouldn't have been as fun as it was, but it was, it was a really fun film. And they got the casting spot on. We had Greg Sestero from The Room, <laughs> yeah. and we had the Oh My God guy from Troll 2, and George Hardy from Troll 2. Yeah. And George Hardy chews up the scenery in this film like no one else. Like he makes the most of every second he's on screen, and it is so great to watch. It's one of those parody films that you can tell has a love for mm. the films that it's parodying. Um, it's it's too good to be a trash to piece. Like yeah. on paper, this should be a bad film, but you know, so bad it's good. Yeah, it's it's too good. But it, it's the, the comedy is spot on because yeah. of that. You watch films like um, oh what after scary movie we had all these films yeah like, a, a, what they call epic movie Dame epic movie. movie all that shit which don't work because there isn't that and uh, the filmmakers didn't have a love for the things that they were parodying. Mm. So it was it was just shit. Whereas because, and, and you know I don't know them personally, but I'm assuming they do, because they love these films so much, they can get, you know, more jokes out of yeah. it, more funny jokes that aren't just, you know, throwing shit at each other jokes. Mm, yeah. If you, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, like immature jokes. Yeah. You know, and you get what is a very fun B movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that brings me to my number 10. And it's a film we watched only yesterday. It's The Call. Uh, South Korean. Yes. Uh, a Netflix film. Netflix have knocked it out of the park this year. They've released a lot of great films. Um, a lot of the time it can be very hit or miss. I mean, they have released some trash, but there's been a lot of great stuff. Uh, and this is one of them. This is kind of like... If I was to compare it to anything, because there's not a lot I can compare it to, but if I was to compare it to anything, it's sort of similar to the butterfly effect, um, but more horror. And through phone calls, uh, which is really interesting. I mean, it's difficult to explain exactly what the fuck is going on in this. It is essentially two different periods of time, two people calling each other and changing things in their lives through this. It's... Bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre, but it is so well written to the point it never gets too much. Or you, I mean, it's a film you've got to sit down and concentrate on. You you can't just throw it on and just watch it. Uh, but it, it does everything so well, and it's so well made and so well acted as well. Um, with, with both of the leads being in other fantastic um, Korean films, uh, one actress is from Burn, and the other's from Hashtag Alive, which is also really good. Um, but yeah, they, they this was just. Weird, but in the best way possible. Really good. Yeah, I have it as my number nine. And it's a, a really interesting premise, which I'm surprised hasn't been done before. Yeah. Uh, correct me, anyone out there, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but essentially the premise is that a woman in 2019 
uh, answers her home telephone and it turns out it's a woman um, who lived in her home um, 30 years, uh, 20 years before, Mm. 20 years before. So what sort of evolves is that the, the woman living in 1999 changes things yeah. that happen in the future. So th- th- I'll, I'll give you one of them. It's um, so the, the lady in 2019's father died when she was quite young in 1999. Mm. So they make a, um, a pact and she actually saves her dad and her dad appears in 2019. Yeah. But of course, like any good horror film, it takes a sinister turn. Yeah. Um, so you always, you have to concentrate, um, but it's very rewarding if you do. Yeah. And that's a very yeah. interesting premise and it's really well handled. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some very tense scenes in there as well. Um, you get a good uh, affinity for the main characters. You actually care about yeah. what, what's going to happen to yeah. them. And, um, I'm, you know, it's on Netflix, so I'd say watch it or just wait for the inevitable remake that's going to come <laughs> The American remake. Of course. We're in the 20s. We're in the 2000s anymore. It's okay. No, it's I, probably I, still, safe. I still think they'll do one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was very, very good. So coming on to number nine, I have... Uh, that was your number nine, wasn't that it? That was my number yeah. nine. So, my number nine is Blinders. Uh, a film that... One of two films on this list that we watched at August Fright Fest. And, and August Fright Fest was nowhere near as good as October. It, it was just mostly bad films, really. Uh, but this... This really took us by surprise. I mean, it's essentially a psycho Uber driver. Who becomes obsessed with someone. And it, it is simple. As simple as that. A guy gets a ride home in an Uber one night. And the guy becomes obsessed with him. He's a loner. And it just evolves from there. And it's so intense. It is a very, very intense film. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. All the acting, the cinematography, everything is really great. And there's a really mean-spirited twist at the end. That doesn't really hit you in the same way uh, that something as mean-spirited as maybe, I don't know. I can't think of any examples. It's not mean-spirited to the point it ruins the experience for you. It's mean-spirited to the point where it's like, I'm a horror film and this is what I'm going to do. You're not meant to be comfortable with what's happening. Yeah. It's uh, a tried and tested formula. Yeah. A single white female. A single white female yeah. or an Uber. Yeah. And, but expertly handled. And, uh, uh, you know, that's all I ask for. Yeah. You know, it was tense, it was well acted, um, it had some very interesting twists and turns, and yeah, it was it was just, it was, you know, it's not breaking massive new ground, no. but it's doing something right and handling it well with a few added extras. You know, I was pleased and I put it as my number eight because I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, so, my number eight is, uh, the second film that we really enjoyed from August Fright Fest is The Colonist. Have you got this on your list? It's number seven. We <laughs> seem to be... <laughs> so, it's it's fine. My number seven is something we need to continue talking about. But uh, The Colonist is uh, insanely enjoyable. Like, it is entertainment gold from start to finish. It works as a horror. It works as a comedy. Uh, and leaves you with moral questions. 
Yeah, I, I love a film with layers and I love a film that asks questions and mm. doesn't necessarily answer them for us. Um, I can watch, not every film I want to watch has to be like that, but I do like when one comes out and uh, it leaves you asking some moral questions and, and this one definitely does. Um, it's essentially a very modern idea of a columnist who is sick to death of all the harsh criticism she gets in the uh, comments sections. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are quite uh, misogynistic and quite violent. And yeah. um, she decides to kind of take things into her own hands. Yeah, um, she murders them all. <laughs> she murders them all. And she, steals their fingers. She takes it too far. It's a very dark comedy. Yeah. And uh, there are some very funny parts to it. Um, forgive me, what country is this... I think it's... Um, that is a very good question. I'm so embarrassed that I didn't write this down. I think it's Danish. Um, I kind of want to say the same. Have you got it there? Um, will it tell me on... I think that's gone to IMDb. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, but it's the symbolism as well. The fact that everyone she kills, she takes their fingers. She takes away their ability to be these harsh online critics. Because, uh, I mean, let's face it, everybody thinks they're a critic these days, and, uh, you know, here we are, hosting a podcast where we criticise films. But this is more delving into the fact of the comment sections, and if you look in the comment sections of anything, uh, it's brutal. It, it is brutal, and it really does deal with it in such a really great way in this film, and makes you aware of that. And, like I said, the symbolism of taking away the fingers, I think that was such a great nod uh, to... You know, yeah. the, how this happens. Yeah, and it uh, the idea is when... How far is too far? Yeah. You know, her... We can sit here and morally say that her killing people is too far. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you shouldn't resolve your issues by killing people. But the things that they were saying... If we were in her situation, how would we react? Yeah. You know, and it's it's very interesting. It's a very modern idea. Yeah. Um, very modern. And it's a Dutch film, by the way. Thank you. And it's handled... Um, it's, a, it's a very funny film in parts yeah. as well. Yeah. It's handled really well. It's a black comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And fantastic, I number seven. Yeah, fantastic lead performance as well. Yeah, she was very good. Really, she, really good. Um, yeah, she was actually very good. Uh, am I right in thinking female director as well? Have you still got IMDb there? Uh, Ivo Van Art no? is a gentleman. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, so, number seven, we can now continue talking about host. My number seven is host. Um, yeah, so please continue where you left off. <laughs> oh, what was I saying? You're saying how good it was and how it wasn't like Oh, uh, yeah, of course, yeah. So it didn't rely on cheap gags. No. Um, so at one, you know, obviously it's it's a horror film over Zoom, mm-hmm. a seance um, over Zoom, a seance over Zoom, um, and yeah, there was what one time one person put a mask on, but it wasn't heavy on the twenty twenty mm. jokes. Um, it just, you know, took advantage of the twenty twenty yeah. setting to create a haunted Zoom chat. You know. And it did it really well. And I'm so glad it did. 
I know we're going to get lots of cheap imitations of this. Yeah. But I'm so glad that the first one wasn't just a cheap piece of shit. Yeah. At least start with a really good film mm. and then, then we can just deal with the ones afterwards. Yeah. And the filmmakers uh, have received a free pitch deal with Blumhouse as well. Nice. Which is amazing. Um, yeah, it, it's very much in the same way that... Uh, Paranormal Activity, The Blair Witch Project, and Cannibal Holocaust were every now and then you get this found footage cultural reset within the found footage subgenre specifically. And I think this is it. I think this is the one. Um, because, let's face it, people are going to look at this now and think, oh shit, this is so easy to make. Let's do it. But they didn't treat it as something easy to make. They have proper special effects here. There are some big special effects and they all look great. No matter how low the budget is, it all looks great. Something as simple as, you know, an oven turning on or a filter appearing in the middle of a room, uh, which got me both times I watched it, uh, you know, or just putting a camera, doing a, a pan around an attic and seeing some legs where someone's been hung. Yeah. So these simple things that are thrown in, they sound like, you know, basic stuff when you hear it outside of watching it, but when you're invested in the film and it only goes on for 50 minutes, they pack a lot into 50 minutes. Uh, when you watch it in the film, it, it's so effective. What? Very inspired by Ghostwatch as well, which is always a plus. Yeah, and I liked that the the characters in the film are. They're all individuals, and all they have divine, divine, uh, defined characters. Yeah, I think sometimes in horror films, this is a huge criticism of horror films that I make and uh, on on the regular is that we don't care about the characters we don't know the characters mm. they they're all one of the same well you've got you know five women here and a man tagged on uh, <laughs> uh, every so often uh, but you've got five women here who are very different and you feel like you know them. they they feel yeah, like real they, life people they do they do feel like real life people they really do like when they're fucking around whilst the sales is going on that's something that people would do yeah that is definitely uh, oh, one of them we hate though <laughs> yeah if anyone's seen it they'll know who it is there is the, one of them is definitely the villain of the piece <laughs> So that brings us to number six. What is your number six? Number six is Lucky. Thank God, because it's, that's my number six as well. Oh, wow. So. We've been together too long. I know, yeah. Um, yeah, Lucky, where do we start first with this? This was a big surprise. This was... In, in the fact that any good film at Fright Fest is a big surprise. And, and I know this sounds like a, a dream mixture, but this is Happy Death Day meets Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. In the way that it's the same thing happening over and over again, but the f- strong female lead is absolutely serving Nancy Thompson. She's definitely setting up traps. She's and, absolutely into survival. And an ending that really had us talking about it for for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the premise. I'll give you the basic premise. Uh, a man comes to a woman's house every night and tries to kill her. That's it. That's it. That is the premise, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they take something, you know, as simple as that. And, and this is a f- female filmmaker. I know that for sure. This is, yes, it's definitely a female. Um, was it directed by the lead actress? No, I don't think Can so. Can you check? Because she has been directing. Has she? She has. Um, she directed, was it The Night Shift, was it called? Did she? Brie, Brie Grant. Brie, Brie Grant, Grant, yeah. 
Bria Grant, um, and then she wrote 12 Hour Shift. 12 Hour Shift, that's the one. Yes. Um, yeah, she stars in this, she's a lead actress, and she is fantastic. This is a really, really great performance. It was directed um, by a female director, Natasha yeah. Kamani. Yeah. Um, the themes in this, it's hard to go into it without spoilers, and it is going to be released on Shudder at some point in 2021. Um, but the themes in this are really thought-provoking um and the ending will really leave you thinking about it yeah it, it's it's another one that has layers to it mm. that you have to digest and it's nice to have some you know uh, a film that you really have to and especially when you weren't expecting it yeah it's one of those and um, i'm gonna be perfectly honest sometimes with fright fest we're watching a lot of films back to back and, you know, especially from home. Obviously, I would never do it in the cinema. But at home, sometimes your hands sort of creeping towards your mobile. And before, you've know, before you know it, you've missed 10, 15 minutes mm. of a film because you're bored. Yeah. Um, this is one of those where you put the phone down and you have to, you know, really think about things yeah. as it's going on. And that's so refreshing with Fright Fest. Mm-hmm. Um you know this is me being perfectly honest but it's really refreshing and you can look at it in many different ways um it's very much a um female-centered film mm-hmm. uh very much deals with uh wi- women women's issues sounds stupid um but i can't think of another threat you know issues that are very much that women have to face. Women have yeah. to face, yeah. yeah. Women's issues sound condescending, but you know what I mean. Um, so, yeah, yeah, really, really well done. Yeah, and I've got a number six as well. Uh, what's your number five? Number five is His House. Okay. Um, this is a Netflix film. Yep. Uh, British. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's just... It was one of those where I wasn't really wasn't sure what to expect... Um, it's one of those that you see the trailer and search and you're a bit like, well, how's this? You know, intriguing, but also, um, it comes out of left field with its themes. Yeah. And it's, um, it just, it just, it's hard to describe because it's not a haunted house film. It's not... I suppose it is a haunted house film, but then it's... I'm trying not to spoil it. Can you tell? It is and it isn't. It is essentially... It's difficult for me to explain without spoiling. Essentially, it's it's a great mix of horror and drama. Uh, I've got it as my number four. Um, I I thought, you know, this is just... It's different for me, but in the way that this... If this was... A rich white family in a big house that looks like, well, not even a rich family, a house that looks like they, you know, shouldn't be able to afford it. And, you know, you've got your CGI ghosts coming out. That's what this film would have been Mm. if it was perhaps made in America. Um, Or, you know, yeah, well, mainly America. We get films like that. Um, But this was, you know, uh, a family who came to Britain. Um, they, They were refugees, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, they came to Britain and they were put in a really rough council house and that really makes a big difference. 
Yeah, yeah. When when it's in a in an environment that you can familiarize yourself with, um, you know, it makes it all the more scary. And even something there's a scene where the the uh, the lady in the couple she goes looking for somewhere called Church Street, and she just gets lost in in this area where she's moved to this estate, and you know, people have been intimidating to her and such, and. It's it's even just moments like that that have you on edge because you can you can you know familiarize yourself with the surrounding. Yeah, there, there's a tension throughout, mm. and the tension comes from this seemingly. The question is: Is the house haunted, or are they haunted? Yeah, and or and they're. Uh, what's housing officer mm. uh, played by Matt Smith and um, he seems quite sinister in himself mm. so there's tension and then the tension with him and then the tension with the people outside yeah. as refugees mm. um, coming to Great Britain they're, they're given this council house which you know by all intents and purposes is an absolute shithole yeah and um, the the neighbors don't interact with them. Mm. And like Gary said, the the the, the wife in, in the film, she has a, a kind of altercation when mm. she's trying when she's lost. No one will help her. So there's this tension there as well. So it's an incredibly tense film. Um, we're, you know, we're from Britain, and I'm pretty sure anyone listening to this podcast is well aware. Uh, and familiar with, you know, racial tensions that mm. have occurred, you know, to this very day. Yeah. And, you know, it's... You're always on the edge, aren't mm. you, watching the film. Yeah. Really, really well made. And I really, really... I, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the themes there, and I enjoyed how they built the tension. Um, I thought the characters were very likeable. mm um, which again adds to that tension. You know, this yeah. is a horror film here, guys. You know, it's not letting you forget that. Um, it's always tense. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, just really, really well made. Yeah, very good. And I've got a feeling is your number four going to be my number five? Yes. <laughs> so my number four was his house. Uh, my number five and Chris's number five, number four, four. is Possessor. Uh, a film made by Brandon Cronenberg, but a film you could probably mistake him for his dad, David Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah. I... And that is a compliment. That, that is, is a compliment. very much a compliment. He's probably <laughs> sick of fucking hearing it, but it is the truth, though. Yeah, this was incredible. Um, again, not really like anything. Uh, in the same way as, as a call, not really like anything I've seen before. Um, even though the comparisons are there to David Cronenberg and the body horror, the whole plot of it, um, you know, of an assassin possessing someone's body uh, in order to take other people out, and then complications um, arise, I, I don't think I've seen that in a film before. And it's such a... And, and it's weird saying that because it's such a simple plot. Yeah. Um, and you'd think sci-fi... That's a very 80s yeah, plot. Yeah, yeah, a very, very 80s, 80s plot. Um, but... The way it deals with this and the horror elements are unbelievable. And there's obviously there's two versions um, going around. It's the uncut version you need to see. It's the uncut version we watched at London Film Festival. And 
the practical effects in this film are mind-blowing. There was a scene that had me feeling a little sick, um, one of the death scenes, because all the gore and all the violence and everything, it is so realistic, um, the way they deal with it, and it's, yeah, it's just a, a really shocking ending as well. Like, really. It's a film where... Brandon Cronenberg does not hold back. He doesn't. He doesn't give a shit. He's made a film. This is his film. This is his vision. He doesn't care how extreme it is, and he's released it. And it seems to have had a really good response as well. Yeah, it's not horror in the sense of scary. It's horror in the sense of uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a very uncomfortable film to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, which is perfectly reasonable. That's why we watch horror films. We feel scared or uncomfortable. And um, this is an uncomfortable one because it's very violent. Um, it feels quite grimy. It feels like it's hard to describe, mm. but like dirty. It feels. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When it, when it's just so sort of violent and sweaty, and mm. you know, there's some quite sexual moments in it. It's gets you some erections. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very uncomfortable viewing, but really expertly made. Um, it's very stylish in places. It yeah. looks great. And, you know, if you're a gore hound, there's plenty here. And it balls to the wall. It doesn't hold anything back mm-hmm. at all, you know. And if that's what you like, this is a great film. And yeah. that's why I put it in number four, because sometimes, you know, you want to watch a crazy batshit film yeah um i think three and two are in the same predicament <laughs> your number three is my number two and my number two is your number three yes so would you like to go first so number three is freaky yes we were looking forward to watching this film for a very long time we we love um happy death day to uh, happy death day and happy death day to you yeah. uh and this is christopher landon's newest film uh, mixed reviews, would you say? Maybe, Maybe but they positive. all acknowledge what it does. Uh, for me, the, the reason that this is at my number two is because this is the most perfect slasher film made in a long time. This is just, this is a slasher fan's dream come true. Yeah, so Christopher Landon does what he did with Happy Death Day. Yeah. And takes a premise from another film mm-hmm. yeah. and makes a horror film out yeah. of it. You know, takes a premise from a non-horror film like Groundhog Day mm-hmm. and makes it into a horror film. Again, something that should have been done way before now. Exactly. And this one is Freaky Friday. The yeah. whole body swap comedy is made into a slasher film. Yeah. And this is quite a gory film. Yeah, this is... Uh, whereas Happy Death Day didn't focus on gore... This is very in your face with the gore. It doesn't, again, another film doesn't hold back because it's paying homage to the films that didn't hold back in the 80s. Um, but it even contains slasher references up to modern date. There's a kill in it that replicates the wine bottle kill in Sorority Row. Yeah. You know, so this is just a love for the slasher genre. There is a lot of 80s vibes to it, though, isn't there? There is. It's definitely that. And it's in the sense of Happy Death Day was a mystery film. Yeah. It was a mystery. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, you know, freaky, we know the killer's Vince Vaughn from the get-go. Mm. You know, Vince, Vince Vaughn is Jason Voorhees, yeah. essentially, in the film. 
So what we get is over the top kills, over the top comedy moments. Yeah. And it's a fun, it's a fun film to watch. Gay representation by gay actors and gay filmmakers. Um, I, I think the LGBT representation in this film was fantastic. Do you yeah. not agree? Yeah, no, no. Are you doing more Vince Vaughn? <laughs> no, I'm not doing more Vince Vaughn. There is a moment there that is actually quite funny. Every every character in this film is is so well written and so likable. Um, I think Vince Vaughn does a wonderful job. This as is well. probably my favorite Vince Vaughn role, and Catherine Newton is fantastic. She is so good in this. Vince Vaughn manages to accomplish that thing, where he, so it's a body swap of a big hulking man and a small shy girl yeah yeah essentially mm-hmm. come on the comedy writes itself but thank god vince vaughn didn't go down the hugely effeminate yeah insulting you know uh road mm-hmm. because that wasn't who the female character was to begin with you know she she was obviously you know a girl and mm. she was slightly girly girlish but she wasn't you know we're not going into sort of white chicks territory no no um where it's too too much he he does play it really well and it's funny he yeah. is very funny and i'm glad we got a comedian in that role rather than you know they were fortunate that vince vaughn is a big guy yeah that's also a comedian an accomplished comedian yeah and and Catherine newton is a killer it was great. Yeah, she was really, yeah. really great. Yeah, because yeah, she kind of had a dual role herself. Yeah. Um, she was playing the shy girl and then playing the crazy serial killer. Yeah. And she did that very well. Yeah, she did. Uh, yeah, I absolutely loved it so much. A brilliant film. Um, but so is your number two and my number three. And, and honestly, these are interchangeable really they really are i think this year for completely different reasons yeah more than any other year a lot of my choices could have gone either way i think number one i think we could both agree number one is absolutely the best horror film of the year um i don't think there's any denying that but the others are quite interchangeable i mean as you can see between the two of us we've agreed on a lot but with just one difference, you know, my number five is your number six, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, so, yeah. So, my number three, your number two, is St. Maud. St. Maud. Uh, another Fright Fest film. Uh, probably the best Fright Fest film we've watched since Climax. Yeah, um, I would agree. Again, female-directed, to perfection, um... This really is, is very promising for Rose Glass. I, I can't wait to see what she does next. Because try explaining explain the, the premise of this film. <laughs> it's a difficult one to explain. Um, because it's going to... I will explain. It's... I, I'm going to read the IMDB because I think that would be quite interesting. Yeah, because I don't think the IMDB premise is going to match exactly what it's about. Because this is... Really complex. Yeah, so St. Maud follows a pious nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. Which is essentially what it's about. Um, But that makes it sound like Margaret White Mm. territory. And there are moments, I think there was definitely a Carrie influence Mm. in there um, with the character. But it's way more complex than Mm -hmm. that. And it's 
just incredibly acted. I have to say, it's one of those films that, you know, lives or dies on its acting. You don't get that yeah. much with horror, but this one really does, because you have to believe it. Yeah, because some of it's quite over the top. Yeah. You have to believe it, and that's all in the acting. Yeah. And I, I think um, the two leads, let's give them the credit, um, I will say their names, uh, Morfid Clark as Maud, and Jennifer Ellie as Amanda. I mm -hmm. do sincerely apologise for those pronunciations. Uh, but those two were fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. They were. And again, another film that has, um, you know, LGBT representation, which is yeah. a very common theme this year. Yeah. Um, which is good, of course. Um, and handles it correctly. Um, because, I mean, let's face it, there are religious people out there that don't agree with it. And putting Maud in this position of being that type of person, but also having this obsession with this lesbian as well... Yeah, it adds a lot of layers to it and a lot to think about. And Maud isn't a over the top. She what she does is sometimes you know over the top, but she's not eating the scenery. She's not no. You know she's a woman who has issues. Mm. Um, she's not played out to be necessarily a villain mm. it's more complex than that there's more layers to her yeah. and it's just a really interesting film and i'm you know i'm glad in in a certain way that a film like this came out in 2020 and got a wide release and got a wide release because it hasn't been overshadowed by other films yes yeah. you know it's a female director. I don't think the budget was massive. No, A24 released it. A24, which is great, you know, fantastic. Um, but I think I'm glad it hasn't been overshadowed mm. by other films. And it's getting a really good response. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we saw it very early in we the did, year. Yeah. I don't know, is it getting released now? It's been theatrically released since October. Theatrically released since October. Yeah. So we watched it quite a bit. Before. But every, everyone's reactions have been so Everyone's great loved it. It's re it's been really well received. Um, yeah, fantastic. I I I I'm quite excited to watch it again actually and yeah. really you know, know knowing what I'm getting into mm -hmm. then I can really I keep using the term, but it's the only term I've got, digest the film properly. So that brings me to our honourable mentions. Oh yeah, before number one. So, horror, honourable mentions, add anything that I miss, so... I certainly will. Uh, Run, uh, Sarah Paulson, being a bad bitch. Oh, yeah. And a disabled actress playing a disabled character. Very intense, really recommend it. Wolf of Snow Hollow, really good uh, werewolf horror comedy. Benny Loves You, doing something a little different with doll horror um, and... Working really well with it. The stylist, uh, psycho hairdresser, scalping people, you know. Yeah. Uh, spare parts, an all-female punk band with robot limbs, fighting people in, you know, in an escape from New York environment. It's, it's great, really great. Uh, the Hunt, the, the, mo the controversial film that could have easily been a letdown. But it was quite the opposite. Was that this year? Just that, that was genuinely this year. So long ago. The Mortuary Collection, really good anthology film. Very good. And have I missed anything out? Oh, The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse, yes. uh, we really... Well, we were 
I don't know. We were underwhelmed, but we were expecting five-star gold. Yeah. But it is a good film. There's no denying that. You know, it's very well made. Yeah. I'd like to give some mention to Relic as well. Yeah. Uh, Relic's... Everyone seems to be really enjoying Relic. Yeah. And we did enjoy we it. We did enjoy it, but... Um, it's it's coming up like on top ten lists yeah. and such. And there's some fantastic acting in it. It's a yeah, really great film. Yeah, and it's a great theme to it as well. And um, yeah, I, I mean it's not top ten material, but you know, I would recommend going out to watch yeah. it and making your own mind up. And uh, non horror, honorable mentions. We've got Just Mercy, um, one of the most overlooked films of the year in my opinion yeah I think so too I don't know how this has gone so under the radar yeah really um, you know it, it has one of the most intense real and uncomfortable scenes I've ever watched in the cinema um, you know which scene I'm on about where the whole cinema is just a complete silence watch it it's really great yeah Disclosure Disclosure I love Disclosure it's a Netflix documentary on um the representation of trans, uh, transgendered people mm. in cinema. I love a documentary on cinema. Yeah. And this one was really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, really good. In Search of Darkness Part 2. Uh, continuation of the 80s horror documentary. That like my name is in the credits. Thanks yeah. to Chris. <laughs> uh, but this was way better than the first one. It went really in depth with uh, non-English horror and... Uh, yeah. Video games. Unmade passion projects. You know, it really delved much deeper. I think there's only so many things you, anyone can say about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. So I appreciated that in the second one, they looked at different films. And some films I'd never even heard yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Reason I Jump, uh, another great documentary. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, really respectful documentary on uh, non-verbal autistic yeah. people. Really were really well made, um, very interesting and, and like I said, very respectful to yeah. the subject matter. Another round, a film with the premise for a really bad comedy ended up being a really <laughs> emotional drama. Oh my God, could you imagine what Adam Sandler would do oh, no. that script? Yeah, yeah fa- ah, really fantastic film um, based on, you know, coping with everyday life yeah. and uh, people essentially using alcohol to do that mm-hmm. but um, not thinking of it as a problem yeah you know uh, yeah really I really recommend watching that really well um, acted as well yeah I, I'd like to see uh, Mads Mikkelsen mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to see him get nominations yeah. at the Oscars for that because he was very good Jojo Rabbit, a film about a kid who has Hitler for an imaginary friend, somehow ended up being a really emotional drama with some great comedy moments. That feels like a million years yeah. ago, that film. Uh, Uncut Gems, somehow an Adam Sandler film that got 10 stars out of me. Yeah, yeah he was fantastic in that. So good. Um, Lovers Rock, a part of Small Axe, which we still need to finish, uh, but somehow a film that uses music... As it's script, essentially, for most of it, yeah. and, and mood setting, and yeah. it, it really works really well. It, it just really flawless filmmaking. Yeah. Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, um, one of the most moving and touching performances I've seen from Tom Hanks in a, a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it was just really, really great. Um, one Night in Miami... Um, a film about a group of men in a room talking somehow <laughs> yeah. managed to be one of the most captivating uh-huh. pieces of cinema this year. 
1917, a war film in, taken in one shot, um, well, pretending it's in one shot, should we say, um, and just managing to be more intense than a lot of horror films this year. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, Lesbians Without Electricity, the better version, <laughs> because, let's face it, um, the other one's not making it on here. Is that why we were so shocked at the happiest season? Because they, <laughs> yeah. they're actually they allowed electricity. electricity. <laughs> What's the other one called? The Kate one's Ammonite. Ammonite. Ammonite was a real disappointment. Um, American Utopia. For a long time, it was my number one film of the year. Uh, it is a concert film and flawless concert film by Spike Lee with David Byrne. Soul. Uh, Pixar's one of Pixar's best films, oh, in my just opinion. Really incredible. Just really incredible. It's not a film for kids, and I'll, I'll, you know, it's an animated film for adults. Mm. Not to say, you know, it's not an adult film. <laughs> People aren't being slaughtered in it. Um, but it's just a wonderful um, film about yeah. what it is to exist. It's mm. really just flawless. But I loved it. I really loved it from start to, to end. And uh, our number one non-horror film of the year for both of us. Yes. I'm thinking of ending things. Yes. Yeah. Re- not for everyone. Not for everyone. I will say that. Um, but if you give it the time and, like I said with so many films, really take the time to digest it yeah. and focus, it is phenomenal. Yeah. It really is. Just a phenomenal filmmaking from start to finish and incredibly acted yeah incredibly yeah. acted yeah let's, let's hope Tony Clark finally gets that Oscar yeah it's batshit crazy it's batshit crazy it's 2020's a razor head yeah but you know if you can pick things out of it and really get to mm-hmm. to grips with it there was a lot to uh, a lot to be had from watching the film really just incredible really Wonderful. And that brings us to our number one horror film of 2020. It is, of course, a film we've actually probably discussed twice at length in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe more times. It is, of course, The Invisible Man. Yes, still up for our favourite horror film of 2020. Still there after all this time. Um, just, it's what a good horror film should be. Yeah. It's tense. It's expertly acted. It's, you know, visual effects are very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's some real shocking moments. Elizabeth Moss should be nominated for an Oscar yeah. for this film because, you know, she plays it so well, so well. Mm. And her character in it is very human yeah very human we care about what happens to her we care about her story Mm -hmm. so when she's in danger we on the edge of our seats we care that's what good tense horror film should be and doesn't exploit domestic abuse but still includes it and deals with it in a really careful way yeah very very much so yeah uh, more promising filmmaker from Lee One Out. Can't wait to see what he does next. So that brings us to our ten worst horror films of the year. Yes. 
Let's get through this. So, number 10 for me is... A lot of these are... Inter- My number four. Yeah, a lot of these are interchangeable <laughs> for me. Um, these are just what I would call bottom of the barrel. This and is what everyone's came here for. This is what you, This is what everyone's forwarded to. And when you get when to the bottom of the trash. barrel, you swirl it all up and just pick whatever's there. Uh, so number 10 is Hall. A film that is 90 minutes of someone crawling down a carpet. It's essentially. Really badly constructed, the film. Um, at one point, the, the woman loses her daughter but doesn't seem to care. <laughs> For an incredibly long time. But her daughter doesn't do anything. Her daughter doesn't do anything. Um, I'm struggling to remember what the film is about. Because all, all I really yeah. remember do you know is people why? crawling down a hall. But that's it. Do you know why you don't remember? Because they don't explain until the post credit scene. No. The post credit scene explains the plot. What kind of fucking filmmaking is that? It's dull as dishwater. It really is very dull. Um, shit. Shit. There we go. My number 10 is The Grudge. Is that on yours? That is... Yeah, that's my number 9. <laughs> the Grudge. Yeah. What a disappointment. <laughs> Jackie Weaver. What are you doing this oh, shit, Jackie man? Weaver. <laughs> and we love a bit of Jackie Weaver and we loved her in Stage Mother. <laughs> For right or wrong reasons. A, right good, blend, a good blend of good and we bad like reasons. We Stage Mother. Um, um, but bloody... Lynn Shay. Fucking hell. <laughs> Why does she keep accepting this shit? Because she is so capable of so much. Look at her in Insidious. And, you know, there's something about Mary. Uh, obviously, very small role in Nightmare on Elm Street. New Nightmare. She's a great actress. A great genre actress as well. And she just keeps accepting this shit. Oh, it's... Just... It, it didn't feel like a film. It was just random clips thrown together. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. You wouldn't even know it was a remake of The Grudge. No. It's, it was fucking dull. But it was meant to be, it was meant to be like a uh, sequel to The American Grudge, but that's only because they say like two names throughout and that ties it together somehow. It's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. Uh, it's laughable at times. It, but, it is. But not laughable to make it so bad it's good. There's more no. boring parts in it than laughable yeah. parts. Jackie Weaver running out of that house though. Yeah. Lynn Shane screaming peekaboo at the camera. Oh, don't. Yeah, just really... And every cheap horror film trick they can pull out the bag, they try and fail with. Mm. Just really... Just, yeah, yeah. shit. <laughs> My number nine... I feel like after all of these films, except, like, yeah, just shit. <laughs> uh, so your number nine is a grudge, weren't it? My number nine is grudge. <laughs> My number nine is Sky Sharks. Where's that on your list? That was my honourable... Dis- oh, okay. Dishonourable mentions. Sky Sharks is a piece of shit. <laughs> uh... A pervy piece of shit. Now, we, you know, we uh, talk about films on here all the time. You know, we're no prunes. We, uh... Prunes? Prudes. Prudes. <laughs> um, I've seen if you're listening. Uh, you know, we talk about films of sex and nudity. <sighs> Some of our episodes... Are, I mean, one of our most popular episodes was talking about cock and spunk all the way through it. This had me feeling uncomfortable because it didn't feel like your usual horror nudity. It felt really pervy. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's because it's such a low budget, but there's an actress that got it all out for the film, and it just felt, oh god, you're doing this for Sky Sharks. Yeah, it it felt really dirty. The whole film felt like really yeah. dirty, and grimy. Some of the worst CGI ever. What the fuck? Oh, why? Yeah. Just why? 
Like, why waste Tony Todd in this film? And who else was in it? Lynn Lowry. Lynn Lowry. Fuck off. Like, why? Why would you waste your time on this shit? It's just... It's one of those films that tries so hard to be so bad it's good and just fails. It, yeah. Falls flat on its face. Yeah, it doesn't get it right. The tone's not right. Boring. It goes on too long. Oh, my God. It does go on fast. And it was funny long. because it was shown at Fright Fest and we paid extra to watch it. <laughs> and uh, it was introduced as, uh, oh, no, don't forget to look out for yourselves because they shot a scene at Fright Fest. Um, don't forget to look out for yourselves when it happens. That exact scene does not happen. No, they cut it out. <laughs> they, they cut it out. They cut everyone out of it. They cut everyone out oh, of it. Absolute waste of time. What's your number eight? My number eight is Blind. That's my number seven. Oh my god. Um, really badly handled <laughs> film about a blind woman who's being stalked. Um, the. Uh, <laughs> the lead actress is not blind. The lead <laughs> actress uh... is not blind, and there's just—it's really quite tone deaf in some yeah. cases. There's one scene, um, and the, the blind um, character, she lives alone. Mm. Um, but there's one scene where she has lit candles <laughs> all over the room, and it's just. It's, <laughs> She sits and tells a story to fucking serial killer. Yeah. And he's, and he's wearing a mask, but he's still telling. He's, he's bored out of his mask. fucking mind. He's wearing a, what looks like a Jason Donovan mask. Um, but, you, you know, it's just poor writing. Well, there's a, there's a scene where, you know, they're having a romantic dance, the serial killer and, and another blind woman. And I think it was Caroline Williams, actually. It is Caroline and, and they play a song called Love is Blind. Yeah. There's very um, descriptive... Songs. It's really boring. It's really um, tone deaf. It really is tone deaf. And it's... uh, It's stupid. It's a very stupid film. Yeah. Very stupid. And, yeah, it doesn't handle the subject matter well at all. And the best part is, as soon as it ended, it was like, blind part one. (laughs) Like, anyone wants a fucking part two. So, what's your uh, number eight? Uh, number seven. Number seven is oh, Let's okay. Scare no, Julie. That's fine. We'll get to that. My number uh, eight is The Nights Before Christmas. Ooh. Is that on yours? The Nights number Before six. Christmas is number six. The Nights Before Christmas uh, is someone who potentially could be 12 years old. Um, they've watched Suicide Squad one too many times and they wanted to turn uh, Harley Quinn and the Joker into... Mr. and Mrs. Santa Claus, and it is fucking abysmal. Yeah, it, it, it's... It is so immature. It is... There's nothing... There's, there's not even that I should say about it, because it is just shit. It's... Yeah. I, it's boring this yeah. way. It has the, the cheek to be boring as well. Mm. Um, as well as, you know... Yeah, it's hard. I don't remember much of the film. Good. All I remember is Mrs. Claus being a Harley Quinn ripoff, <laughs> and Santa Claus being like a grimy. Do you look like Jason Statham or something? <laughs> like, ah, Santa Claus. Ah. <laughs> um, and I don't remember much of the plot because I sw- I must have switched off. <laughs> 
Um, but it, it didn't They're just have, go around killing people. It didn't even have the decency boring. to, you know, be gory as far as I remember. Well, there were. There were moments of gore, but... But not, like, proper well-done gore. No. No, nothing about it was well-done. It was fucking awful. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot to say about it. Wasn't even that Christmas? There's, wasn't there's it? really not a lot to say about it. No. So let's go to your number. <laughs> I'm struggling to remember the. Your number thing. seven and my number six. My number seven is Let's Scare Julie. Yeah. Talk about fucking boring. Yeah. Absolutely, fuck all happens in this film. It is Absolutely teased as fuck all. introduced and teased as being a one-shot film. There are multiple cuts in this film. Yeah. And yet these fucking people on Twitter are like, well, actually, uh, it was one shot with both cameras. No, no, bitch, no. It was advertised as one shot. I want to yeah. see one shot. Yeah. Not one shot from two different cameras. One shot from one camera. That is a one shot film. If you're using two cameras in different angles, that is not a one shot film. So don't come to me with that shit. It is not a one shot film. And it is barely a fucking film. The whole, the premise is that these girls are having some sort of sleepover and the house opposite, there's someone in there called Julie who's a bit creepy and they're going to go over to the house. Scare her. To scare her, <laughs> essentially. That's it. Um, <laughs> the film goes an absolute snail's pace. Uh, there's nothing of note. That happens. No. Absolutely nothing of note. Except for that one random guy that no one knows who he was that just randomly appeared. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, it's like when they go over, when the girls go over to Scare Julie, the name of the fucking film, it's. They don't even go. The camera doesn't go with them. The camera doesn't. The camera stays with the girl waiting for them. The camera stays with the girl waiting for them. So they go over. So they're trying to do this rear window thing. Um, and it doesn't fucking work. No. It really doesn't work. Because what it, you actually get is a really fucking boring film. Um, really badly lit as well. It's hard to see a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, real shit. Shit, snooze fest. I, I, it's one of those films I don't understand how anyone can enjoy it and say, no. oh, that was intense. How the fuck was it intense? No, Give me a break. No. And then the characters are really horrible yeah. as well. So, my number seven was Blind, my number six was Let's Scare Julie. What's your number six? My number six was The Night there Before Christmas. There we go, Christmas. The Night Before Christmas. What's your number five? Number five is Heckle. Good, that is also my number five. Um, Heckle is a film starring Steve Gutenberg. That features Steve Gutenberg for about 10, maybe 15 minutes tops. <laughs> um, he doesn't really do much. He um, wears this awful wig in some scenes, doesn't he? Yeah. When we have flashbacks. Um, the, the premise is stupid. The characters are stupid. The reasonings behind everything happening is stupid. Um, It's not acted very well. It's very cheap. Very cheap. Yeah, but when they have phone calls, it sounds like the person's in the same room as them. What does this have in common with Wonder Woman 84? Um, It's the part set in the 80s. The main part of this film is set at an 80s party. Yeah. Where not a single 80s song is played. No. (laughs) And their outfits look 
awful. <laughs> they really do. They they really it's very cheap. Um, I think potentially they could have saved some money by not having Steve Gutenberg and actually added to the film itself. Toya Wilcox is in this. Barely. <laughs> she she spends uh, her screen time looking for a child around a house without looking in a garden. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the whole idea is the whole film's about stand-up comedy, but it's not a funny film. And I think it's, you know... Uh, we we support low budget film indie filmmakers, you know, not to put indie filmmakers down, but ser- and I know most of this consists of indie films, but guys, come on, seriously, it's it's really not that difficult. You've got a, a slasher film about a comedian, uh, you know, it's based around a comedian that got heckled. You probably could have had some fun with this. Yeah. How did you go so wrong? You know, it's it, it just baffles me. But there's plenty of low-budget films that do these things very well. Look at Host. Look at Host. You know, back in the day, Halloween was a low-budget yeah. film, you yeah. know? Um, and they do do these things really well because they have a great plot. They have, you know, a great premise. They have an expert at the helm let's mm. be fair you know not anyone could make halloween and you know they get it right halloween isn't a big blockbuster bloody balls to the walls film it plays to its strengths mm. you know and so we're not dissing these independent films because it is possible it's just you just ain't getting it right I'm yeah. sorry you're just not getting it right my number four is hall Oh, what was your number four? My number four is Castle Free. Oh, that was generous. That was generous, actually. That is quite generous, thinking about it. Mm. We'll get to Castle Freak when it's on your list. Are you sure? Yes. What's your number four? Uh, my number four is Hall. Oh, okay. So my <laughs> number three is Don't Click. My number three is also Don't Click. Um, another don't example watch. of indie filmmaking gone horribly wrong. Um, I don't even know what this fucking film was about. You just got a woman being... Uh, it's it's odd. This was female directed, but it was very misogynistic. Yeah. Um, we we got a woman being tortured with really bad special effects all the way through. Um, yeah, and a guy with his laptop watching it, and some guy that thinks he's a centibite from Hellraiser appearing every now and then, and saying just talking shit, and that's it. Really. Yeah, and guys getting dragged into the internet like the yeah. Take on Me video. Um, we we had to question why the frame rate dropped so yeah. much in certain scenes. It's because they were inside the internet. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's... I, I mean, the, the only highlight that I can think of is when the guy gets his dick chopped off. I forgot that even happened. Yeah, yeah. and um, I, It's one of those films there's just not a lot to say about. It, it's, it's just not. It's, it's, assen- it's essentially some guy watches some... You know, real life snuff porn, and gets dragged into it, mm. and becomes part of it, and it, it's unfortunately one of those films that it's it's the male story, and women are just there to be porn tortured, mm-hmm. and which is a shame from a female director because yes. you know um, it could have could have been done from a different... I'm not even sure if the premise is that interesting, to be fair. No. For shit. 
Well, my number two, as we mentioned, is Castle Freak. A remake of the 90s uh, Stuart Gordon film starring Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs. Uh, you know, it's not a ground, the original not a groundbreaking masterpiece, but it's a good, enjoyable, uh, entertaining horror film. This was softcore porn with a couple of kills every now and then. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was extremely boring. It felt like it went on for ages. But again, it just felt really pervy. Like, I can't believe Barbara Crampton produced this. It really does baffle me that someone who holds the first film so dear to her heart um, allowed this nonsense to happen. Um, every single female character is nude at one point. They, they, they are. They, yeah. there's, I swear there is a real sex scene in this because um, there's certain angles and what we see. Um, and, and that is bizarre for such a low-budget horror film um, to why someone would agree to that. And, spoiler alert, if anyone's ever going to watch it, Castle Freak in this film uh, is someone's sister and the result of incest. Because um, that's necessary. Yeah. And there's a big, elaborate backstory behind all of that. Uh, it tries too hard with the Lovecraft stuff at the end. It is absolutely fucking nonsense. So boring. It's Yeah, it's just... It's stupid. Stupid. None of it really makes any no. sense. None of it comes together very well. Um, literally every single female character gets nude at one point. Mm. Um maybe we're not the target audience for this shit but Jesus Christ does it feel dirty and grimy yeah. and just it's just fucking stupid mm. it makes no sense absolutely no sense and what's your number two? my number two is In the Quarry that was a dishonourable mention for it's me. a dishonourable mention I uh, I think I probably had the biggest hatred of this film after we watched it at Fright Fest <laughs> I'm saying horror film. It's loosely. not. It's a loosely a horror <laughs> film, but I just really wanted to mention it because this is one of the most bland films I have ever had the misfortune to watch. Absolutely nothing of note happens no. in this film. It's it's set in a quarry, and it's meant to be about the tension between. A woman and these two men mm. and she's having it off with it and, she's, and it turns bloody and it turns violent. Oh my God. Fuck all. Fuck all happens. Yeah. It is so boring. I can forgive a lot. I really can forgive a lot. But I cannot forgive a boring film. No. And this was from start to finish. Yeah yawn-inducing, yeah. absolutely shit. It is just conversations, but boring conversations where nothing happens. And I think an issue I have, on, on a personal um, basis, is I think if I hadn't have seen it in the cinema, it may not have been so high on my worst lists. Mm. Because I think potentially there are more boring films that I easily distracted myself with with my mobile phone, where I was forced to sit through this film... <laughs> And it felt like four hours. Yes, yeah. really. I I I wish I could have just left, and it, I I think I was really looking forward to the film as well, and I think disappointment adds as well. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm expecting a shit film, when it turns out to be shit, it's like okay, I got what I expected. But I thought this was going to be a great, 
um, thriller full of sexual tension and mm. and and it wasn't. It was mm. dull, dull as dishwater. Hated it. So before we get to number one, our dishonorable mentions: a common crime. I'm I'm not even gonna start. The oh, horror crowd. What the fuck was that? Do I? Remember? I don't even that remember. That was the woman who. Uh, I would think that guy knocks on a window and nothing happens for the rest of the film. The haunted train set. The haunted film. train set oh, film. Oh god. The Horror Crowd, a documentary where the host gets uncomfortably close to his guests throughout the whole thing. (laughs) Valley Girl, uh, a film that could have been phenomenal, but is dire. Oh, no. Yeah, real cheese fest. Yeah. Awful. Um, Eurovision, uh, some contest, a story of fire saga. Come on, Netflix, how the fuck did you get this wrong? Well, we're in the minority with that one. Everyone else seems to love it, apart from us. But I, I just wanted to slap Will Ferrell for that yeah. whole thing. Enhanced, um, X Men on a budget. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Oh god, yawn. Anderson Falls referred to our podcast episode. <laughs> Babysitter must die. Somehow, someone managed to make the babysitter even worse. Aqua Slash, um, a film that involves five minutes of aqua slashing. Oh, too much aqua, not enough slash. Triggered, um, one of the most boring and homophobic films I've ever seen. Yeah, the plot twist is homophobic and that makes it a shit film. Brahms the Boy 2, a film that relies on jump scares so much to the point it includes a jump scare sound in one scene when nothing actually happens. (laughs) Undine, I'm not even going to bother. Undine, a film that mistakes... Um, building tension with absolutely no plot. Yeah, as good filmmaking. The prom. Um, can someone please get James Corden banned from Hollywood? <laughs> I am Lisa. Um, You're good at these. I'm not very good at these. <laughs> I am Lisa. If the Sugar Babes were uh, rapist werewolves, then you'd get this film. Okay. Um, a ghost waits. A film that. Makes suicide look romantic. We haven't got enough time to go into everything that's wrong with this piece of shit film that everyone's praising. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy, 2020's answer to Mummy Dearest. And (laughs) finally, Fantasy Island, refer to our Blumhouse episode for a full rant. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Oh my God, was that this year? It was, it was. Stop. Number one, the worst film of 2020... Uh, worst film and worst horror film and the worst film I've ever seen. Dangerous to know. Now, this is the film that has the balls to be not only dull, not only badly acted. Badly made. Badly made, incoherent. Boring. Boring, (laughs) but also three hours long. Three hours long. Three and hours. The final line of dialogue is a cat saying, that was my masterpiece. That was written by the director. It was... Oh, how do you describe... It felt self-indulgent. Yes. It um, completely lacked any sort of logical storytelling. Um, it really dragged out mm-hmm. the plot. It really dragged out the premise. Um, it was incoherent in many places. Yeah. Its sound editing was 
Couldn't hear any dialogue. Atrocious. It was so dialogue heavy, but this the guy, the killer, was really just talking shit. But the soundtrack played during the introduction that the director did, all the way through to the final second. Like there wasn't a second in this film without the soundtrack, yeah. and it was so much louder than everything else. Yeah. It really, it's a complete insult to filmmaking yeah. that he thought that he could make this three-hour film. And by all accounts, the funding for it was quite dodgy. Yeah, apparently he... Uh, apparently, allegedly, allegedly. He, he faked his... Uh, his What do you call it? Uh, GoFundMe. GoFundMe. Yeah, he apparently faked it. Faked. Pretended he was famous directors and people um, just to make people pay a bit of attention to this. And it's... Awful. Re- just really awful. It, it is one of the worst films that we've unfortunately ever watched. Yeah. And like I said, it has the absolute goal to be three hours long. Yeah. You know, you can give me shit for half an hour, I can forgive you, but don't fucking shit out this crap for three hours long. It's an insult to everyone who's ever made a film. And that is our ten best and ten worst of, the, of 2020. Um... I just want to say a big thank you to everybody's support this year. You've been honestly so great to us and uh, listening to us, downloading us, replaying, um, you know, our guests we've had this year, Cameron, Maz and Luke. Um, you know, it's, it's been a really great year for us and thanks for the support. Yes, thank you very much. And we, we hope that 2021 is a happy and healthy year for yes. everyone too. Yes, a big happy new year from us. Yes. Uh, we're back on Tuesday with 10 to midnight. Our first film of 2020. I'm Delac Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gaz Cruz92 on Twitter, and Gazmo205 on Instagram. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter. At rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like, follow, and everything else. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Happy New Year. Bye.